Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. This episode also contains spoilers for the 1972 John Wayne film, The Cowboys. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. I don't have any problem with enjoying big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those boring art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure. I will talk about it so that I don't have to see it again or whatever. So in a way our our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine. We wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion predigested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap. We had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. It was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm here with Michael. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, doing swell, I guess. Swell. That's good. I uh, If you need some ice for the swelling, I can provide that for you. <laughs> but if you're good, I'm going to ask you some questions. Uh, or at least mm-hmm. one question to start off with before yeah. we talk about this movie to kind of get an idea of where your headspace is. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an off-the-wall question. I wanted to ask you, so what is your favorite seating style in a theater? So, so this is kind of a weird question because there's a lot of, there's a, there's like three really. There's okay. the, the traditional theater, which a lot of purists are like traditional yeah. or it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. There's the stadium seating, which yeah. was like all the rage for yeah. a number of years. <laughs> or then there's obviously the newer wave of the recliner. Oh, you know, I am always willing to pay extra money for the recliner. Um, I enjoy going to the traditional theater where you got your levels in the mezzanine and the center stage and looking at my ticket going i could have spent way more money on this and seen the exact same production but no those recliners i have fallen asleep in those to bad movies yeah, no and, and I'll, I'll agree with you on that like i think there's a place for all of those other types of theaters mm-hmm. but i'm glad that most theaters have been converting to the recliners especially oh, yeah. like uh one of our local ones that we have which is my favorite mm-hmm. uh the rave over there like that one is one of my favorites because especially you go to a matinee it's still cheaper than going to some of the other ones that oh, still I have can. stadium seating. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I I think ranking them, it's, you know, obviously the recliner, mm-hmm. then stadium seating, uh, and then traditional, which mm-hmm. I know that there are some weird people out there that still like, yeah, I don't are like apologists that. for that, but like, why? <laughs> I find those to be more interesting than enjoyable. Interesting as in like all the engineering that goes into making sure you can hear well from every seat. Yeah, because those are more about the acoustics than oh, like yeah. being able to see. Because you get some tall person in front of you that's wearing like a top hat. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're having to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> In Minecraft, right? That's that's what we're going for. <laughs> He's here. already dead. Oh, it doesn't right. matter. Okay, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, no stadium stadium seating is okay. It's okay. 
uh, and you know, but the recliner is where it's at. Like if, if you don't have a recliner in your theater now, I actually just consider not going. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, no, <laughs> why, why would I? But we're not here to talk about seating mm-hmm. arrangements in theaters, mm-hmm. uh, at least not for the entire episode. We're going to be talking about a movie. So let me give you the synopsis. A hippie and a sentient musical instrument team up to defeat an evil train trying to destroy a widow living in the middle of the desert. It's Once Upon a Time in the West, directed by Sergio Leone from 1968. Uh, 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 what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I wasn't sure how to, like, write the synopsis, because, like, <laughs> I kind of know what happens in it. Okay. Because I like spaghetti westerns. This is one yeah. that I just never saw. Uh, but I've, I've known the plot for a long time. Mm-hmm. Basically, a, a, a widow woman doesn't want to sell her land to the railroad. The railroad okay. hires an assassin, and then people have to protect the woman. That's the plot. <laughs> okay, it's just, it's okay. a bog standard yeah. like Western plot, right? Okay, yeah. But the musical instrument part comes from the fact that Charles Bronson, his character's name is Harmonica. Oh, nice. And then like there's the train and all that junk, and then the hippie is uh, because uh, it's Henry Fonda. Is the, is the villain, actually. <laughs> really? Yes. So that's that's what it is. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't know what you know about this movie, other than it's Sergio Leone. It's a spaghetti western. There's not a lot you can really say about those sort of things. Like, if you like them, you like them. And if mm-hmm. you don't, you don't. What, what's your experience with spaghetti westerns? And I guess westerns in general. I generally like westerns. I've just enjoyed watching them on TV. I love the John Wayne ones. Most of them. And I've... It's hard for me to find a Western that I don't at least enjoy. Honestly, the only thing that tipped me off that this was a Western is the name. Once Upon a Time in the West. Literally did you know that it was directed by Sergio Leone? I did not. Okay. I didn't even know that much. All right, so so. you're going blind. All right, so instead of like, we're going to go straight into the trivia then. Okay, yeah. I've never seen it, but I know a fair amount about Mm -hmm. it. Um, So we'll go into the trivia. Okay. Question number one. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the budget for this film was used for what? Mm -hmm. A, the sets. Okay. B, the actor's salaries, or C, the music and sound design. Okay, so the sets, when you say that, I I have to immediately go, well, they're building a train. That sounds pretty expensive. I have no idea how much of the train they actually see. And if you're not completely abusing the beautiful landscapes of the West when you're filming... It was filmed in Italy. Those, of course you are. I, you know, <laughs> and I think a little bit in Spain. Okay, if you're not abusing those beautiful landscapes when you're filming this, then you're probably doing it wrong. So I, I really hate to say that they spent that much money on the sets. The actors' salaries? You named some big ones. So I have to imagine they put some money in there. The music? Who did the music for this? I mean, who else does music for Spaghetti Westerns? It's Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah. I like the idea that he got paid the most because he deserves it. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, And also the sound design, you threw that in there? Yeah. Okay. Oof. Uh, Yeah, I'll drop money on that. I'll I'll say C, Ennio Morricone and the rest of it. Uh, you were wrong. It's B. Ah, okay, actor salaries. salaries. I mean, it was Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson, yeah. like in '68, which is kind of about when they're like, mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't say necessarily peaking. Fonda definitely probably is peaking at this point. Yeah. Bronson's kind of maybe on his rise, mm-hmm. but definitely you've got you've got those two, and then you've got a bunch of other you know mm-hmm. actors that are in there. You've got tons of extras. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have like ancillary oh, yeah. characters, but those are like the two big draws okay, yeah. uh, in the movie. So that's that's kind of where it came from. Which is funny because I I've only ever seen Charles Bronson in like certain types of movies, and I've never seen him in a western. And I don't know how many westerns he actually does. And I don't think Henry Fonda's done westerns either, so I'm I'm very <laughs> excited to see them both in a spaghetti western, <laughs> because it's just weird, I think, to see Charles Bronson not in you know like some urban city killing a bunch of punks. <laughs> I was gonna say I can see him being like a gun toter, but not in Death Wish. It's really? you, yeah, not yeah. That's the thing is that he's not in Death Wish. Oh, no, like I'm not disappointed in you. Good for you branching out. But. Yeah, and then it's also weird seeing, you know, Henry Fonda in any kind of villain role, <laughs> and then also, like, not in The Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> yeah, but so anyway, okay. yeah, it's 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 the, the actor salary. Yeah. So they I think they spent over 50% on the oh, actor yikes. salaries. Okay, I'm not uh, surprised again, but... No, but, you know, it, it is what it is. So, so question number two. Mm-hmm. In the opening scene, an Indian woman is seen fleeing. That woman is played by royalty... From where? Is it A, Afghanistan, B, Sri Lanka, or C, Hawaii? Oh my gosh. So the extra who plays the Indian is actual royalty. Okay. Oof. And it's a spaghetti western? That doesn't actually tip me off to anything. Um, I like the idea of them having a Hawaiian princess flown out to Italy for is this the only scene she's in yep is just fleeing at the beginning of the movie yep oh my gosh um (laughs) our relationships with afghanistan weren't that bad at the time right Um, we were giving them we were giving them money and guns at the time to fight the (laughs) ruskies yikes sri lanka though at least saying sri lanka is fun so i'm gonna say at least one more time probably not sri lanka which now makes it the answer. Um, the cosmic laws of the universe have made it so that I will pick the wrong one. Let's go with Hawaii. Well, you are right. It was yeah. Hawaii. Uh, it was, and I'm going to butcher this name, so bear <laughs> with me. It was Princess Lukiluana Kalioa, or Luana Strode, as, uh, oh. as she was also known as. She was married uh, to, uh, and I don't remember now because I didn't have, room to write it on my page but it was either one of the actors or i think a producer i think it was one of the actors oh wow uh she was married to it to like (laughs) she had the hollywood connections and so she's like i want to be in a movie and then she was (laughs) they put her in as an extra uh which is kind of funny (laughs) you you think she'd have like ah she's royalty she's gonna be whatever it's like uh that scene where uh like that south american dictator was at the was in uh casablanca at the end uh what's his face oh my gosh uh the name escapes me but he's like ah he's the dude who is at the plane yeah (laughs) uh because like oh yeah i just i want to be in this in this movie and i have the political power to do it or at least the money (laughs) connections honestly those are the kind of roles that if i were you know quote unquote in hollywood those are the ones i would want is those little bit roles like my mom has always talked about i don't want to be in the show i want to be the cadaver that they find um at the beginning of the crime mysteries i just want to be dead yeah i was gonna say i've I've heard your mom talking about this she's like i'd love to be like in csi (laughs) yeah and then be the cadaver that's yeah honestly that would be fun like if i was ever like the dictator of a south american banana republic or like (laughs) Uh, some other powerful 
political mm-hmm. figure. Like, uh, I mean, uh, if I move to like, I don't know, Mexico or Sweden yeah. or someplace and become <laughs> like the prime minister or, or like some famous member of their parliaments or whatever they have, I'd be like, ah, oh, yes, I, I would like to use my, my political power not to, not to make people's lives harder by over-regulating them. I just want to spend their, my tax dollars that I'm taking from them uh, and using it to get myself into bit roles on like <laughs> TV shows and movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I would do like wacky yeah. stuff too. Like not even just be the cadaver, like be, be like the dude in, um, in, uh, I think, what is it? Cause I saw this clip not too long ago, like at the, in scream where it's like this extra yeah. who's like trying to like balance a bowl of cereal as he's <laughs> running past the main characters down the stairs. And he's got like this, <laughs> Whoa, goofy yeah. look on his face. I would do shit like that. <laughs> uh, or just like the weird extra who's like being totally, completely wacky. And then like, are we going to cut this out? No, we can't because he's, he's important. <laughs> and I would ruin yes. people's movies. <laughs> yeah, those are the fun roles that I would want to have. And you know, props to you, Hawaiian princess. Yeah, uh, so that they, they did. They, they had a bona fide royalty in nice. this movie. Question number three. So you're, you're one for one okay. there. Okay. Or, yeah, yeah. Question number three. Henry Fonda filmed his first love scene ever in this film. Who insisted on being there during its filming? Was it A, his brother, who was a huge fan of Claudia Cardinale, who was the lady in question? Was it B, his wife? Or C, John Ford, who directed him in The Grapes of Wrath and thought it would be funny to see him in a sex scene? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So you started the question and I immediately went, well... If I were married, I would want to be there just to make sure. Um, so that you say his wife makes me go, well, I wouldn't want to make sure he wasn't. Mm. Uh, his brother, that's... <laughs> what a cock. <laughs> just like... Uh, in in a very literal sense, what a cuckold. Um, that's disgusting. <laughs> I, I would never be able to watch anyone I am related to do anything of that nature. I would just absolutely like even if i knew it was in the movie i wouldn't watch the movie oh yeah no if that was the case like yeah if if i mean honestly if any of my like even just close acquaintances were in the movie <laughs> yeah and there was like a sex scene with them i'd be like you know what? no i'm just gonna i'm at least gonna skip that scene <laughs> gonna have to pass on that it's like if not the whole movie oh gosh like you're sitting in art class and you're getting ready to paint the naked model and your mother walks in it's like hey guys i'm ready it's just well i guess i'm dropping out of this class for now um <laughs> or the naked model is your mother and oh, then it's just gosh. bad <laughs> so oh Henry Ford showed up. John Ford, but John Ford, sorry. Um Henry Fonda, John Ford, you know, they're the same person. Um, I can totally see John Ford doing that. Without knowing the man personally. I mean, I would absolutely as the director of the man from another movie, I would absolutely show up to watch them if I knew it was going to be hilarious. Um, but no, I will stick with my instinct of B, his wife showed up. You're correct. It was his wife. So fun fact, not only was this Henry Fonda's first role Mm -hmm. as a villain ever, or I think actually his only role as a villain, this was his first, and I believe I couldn't, I couldn't verify, Mm -hmm. but I think his first and only sex scene. Wow. 
in any movie. He was Mr. Wholesome. <laughs> wow, that does not bode well. Or maybe it bodes very well. They were like, he can't do a sex scene and he can't be a villain again. He's already done it. He's been the best. Yeah, well, so that was the fun story here is that Sergio Leone wanted Henry Fonda. He was like actively pursuing Henry Fonda to be in this role. Uh, well, one, because, well, also, too, it was funny because he wanted um, Henry Fonda and Clint Eastwood uh, instead of Charles Bronson, okay. which it was funny because Charles Bronson, he wanted to be in some of the Dollars trilogy movies as sort of <laughs> like the bad guy, yeah. but he couldn't get him. That's why it was Lee Van Cleef and, and others. Mm-hmm. But Clint Eastwood didn't want to work with Leone again, at least because he had just finished like the Dollars trilogy. Okay, yeah. And he's like, I'm kind of done with this for right now. <laughs> Uh, and I think he went on to do like um, maybe Dirty Harry. I don't remember mm-hmm. like stuff like that, um, which other iconic roles of his. Mm-hmm. But Leone was like, okay, I can't get Eastwood. I'm going to go get Bronson. Mm-hmm. We got Bronson. He also got Henry Fonda because he wanted Henry Fonda so badly. And and the reason I'll tell you in the form of, I guess, this anecdote. So basically Henry Fonda got it and he talked to people. He's like, like thought about it long and hard. And he's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to mm-hmm. be a bad guy. I'm, I'm the good guy. I'm the Hollywood good guy. I don't want to <laughs> do it. Uh, and he turned him down. Sergio Leone flew from Italy just for on the hopes that he could in person talk to Henry Fonda. He flew from Italy to, I think, Henry Fonda's house in Hollywood and or at least in the adjacent hills of California and essentially went to his house and said, look, Henry, I need you to do this. Picture this. You see a young boy running away and he's shot in the back and he dies and then the camera pans up and then it shows your face and everyone is shocked because it's Henry Fonda murdering a child. Imagine the shock. You need to do it. You're the only one who can play this role. And then Henry Fonda's like, okay, I'll kill a kid. (laughs) (laughs) No, that wasn't 100% it, but that was his pitch. That was Leone's entire pitch is, I just want to shock people because you're the nice guy in Hollywood. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, that sells it for me. I think that's more of a bodes well for this then because that that you can only shock people that way once. Yeah, I think if if after that point Fonda, no, it, it could go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Fonda's greatness, and then he never does a a, a villain yeah. role again, which I think again can't one hundred percent corroborate because there's mm-hmm. a lot of movies out there. Yeah, but he never does a villain again, and it's like a one off. It's amazing. He's great. Uh, or he's awful in it because he's never done it before. <laughs> or I guess there's a third option too. He he basically just does villain roles because he's so good at it, but that clearly didn't happen. Yeah. So it's either one of those two first things. He's just bad at it and he never does it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or he's so good, he's too good, and he shocks people. <laughs> I guess the the shock will be lost, I guess, on us more so because mm-hmm. we're not of that generation. But yeah. I can still see it there because in my mind, if I think of Henry Fonda, I think Grapes of Wrath and then, uh, uh, what is it? He's in, is it Yours, Mine, and Ours or The Parent Trap? It's one of the two. Oh shoot! Uh, yeah, I think it's yours, mine, and ours. Yeah. The original one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yours, mine, and ours because it's like the the Navy guy mm-hmm. who's you know goes on a blind date and he ends up like <laughs> liking the chick and they both end up they both have like twenty kids. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, and that's the movie. So he's like he's like Mister Good Guy Hollywood. So I do see him that way, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this role should have really been Charles Bronson. (laughs) And then Henry Fonda should have been the good guy. This is mixing up my wires so much. Which might be a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, otherwise, this this would have been Lee Van Cleef or something, too. Like, I I don't know. It it seems interesting. I'm really excited to see how that goes. Because if you've seen pictures of Bronson and and Fonda just in these roles, like, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, they've got, like, the heavy, like, like uh, uh, a tanned sort of like bronze, like obviously like 
not spray tan, but like like yeah. the almond, like whatever the trick was. I think they put like almond extract or something on your face, so like it's <laughs> yeah. like darkens it. But he's like got that like really seedy look, and it's weird, man. If you've seen like oh, pictures man. of it, uh, so I am excited about that. Mm-hmm. So you you are you are you're you're ahead of the game here. Right. So here's a chance to tie it back up for the loss. <laughs> so which director? This is quite final question number four. Which director loved? Ennio Morricone's Jill's theme so much that he played it at his wedding as he walked down the aisle. What? Yeah. So the wow. Jill's theme from the movie, scored by none other than Mr. Ennio mm-hmm. Morricone himself, mm-hmm. was played at the wedding as he walked down the aisle. Was it A, Ethan Cohen, B, John Carpenter, or C, Quentin Tarantino? Oh, I really wish you hadn't put Quentin Tarantino in there because I'm like, obviously it's Ethan Cohen. Um, why wouldn't he pick a, a song from a, a western like this, especially a spaghetti western? Oh my gosh, with Tarantino, I Tarantino, who I believe has worked with Morricone. Yeah, son of a gun. Um, I I can see Tarantino doing that. And I can definitely, I can, I mean, I can also see John Carpenter doing it just because it's great music and John Carpenter likes good music. He does um, all the scores for pretty much all of his films. Yeah, he does. And he's really he's good He's a music at fanatic. It. Oh my gosh. Um, Ethan Cohen, also a known big, yeah. big fan of Westerns. I know. Oh, this is this is probably this, of all the questions you posed to me, this is one of the most difficult I've ever. I, I know over. this one might be when I when I went back over it uh, as mm-hmm. I'm writing this, I'm like, who could I put in here? And I'm like, no, I've. This is probably the perfect mix of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, because like the 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 theme for the thing is just pulsing through my head right now, and I can't get it out of my head. Um, I I will stick with my gut and go with Ethan Cohen, even though I I'm not confident in that answer, because all of them could be the answer. Yeah, uh, well, you are wrong. It is John Carpenter. B. Oh gosh, I'm sorry, Mr. Carpenter. Great it's, choice, though. It's okay. No, John Carpenter. He had Jill's theme play while he mm-hmm. walked down the aisle. Yeah, well, because John Carpenter too is also a because he's he's big into music. Uh, he does it for all of his own all of his own films. Uh, but he's also a noted Western junkie. Yeah. I think his his favorite he he's like a Howard Hawks fan mm-hmm. like that's his favorite director but basically right after that it's generally John Ford and Sergio Leone whenever he's talking about stuff like that so like he's he's a huge fanatic into that and and that's I just found that one more there's really not a lot to talk about <laughs> on that one other than I guess we can springboard off onto obviously no matter what we think about this movie the music is going to oh, be yes. phenomenal right um, I've never listened to a bad soundtrack by Mr. Morricone I agree and I am not a person who generally goes out of his way to listen to movie soundtracks like that's my brother my yeah. brother is the soundtrack king like he, <laughs> he owns loves he loves them he owns all the soundtracks to all these movies everything mm-hmm. i am i did not get that love i i like i mean i respect mr john mm-hmm. williams a lot mm-hmm. uh because i kind of grew up with his stuff but I, I don't really go out of my way to listen to it but every once in a while i will go out of my way to listen to some like ennio morricone uh tracks because man they slap no one else has ever really captured his sound no i know that like the only one that I can really think of, and I, I've seen him do a couple soundtracks. It was um, uh, the RZA has done a few, <laughs> and he kind of he kind of takes that that sort of Morricone spaghetti western, but he does mm-hmm. it with more of a 
Eastern sort of Chinese flair, obviously because yeah. the Wu Tang Clan, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the and and his his, his Shaolin background, uh, he does it with a little bit more of that style, but mm-hmm. it's very similar in a way in in where when he does like um some of these things because I think he did the soundtrack for Man with the Iron Fists, well because he also okay, di- yeah. I think he directed that one too. And, and he's, he was in it. Uh, he did the, he carpentered it. Uh, it's and not he also, nepotism if you do it for yourself. Yeah, well, because he also did, like, the track on that one that's so good is, uh, there's one that he did with, I think, the, the Black Keys. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, it's so good. Because it has a Morricone feel. Yeah. But it's, like, got that modern, like, Black Keys oh, sort yes. of, like, I don't know, garage rock? Not really garage yeah. rock. Eh. Depends on what song, even. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, it's got that, like, really good feel to it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone else really has come close i guess tarantino's scores are pretty good but he mm-hmm. usually uses kind of like weird 70s popular music yeah. and most of the rest of his scores are while he does has used morricone mm-hmm. uh, i believe in was it hateful eight i do not know. i don't remember morricone i think did did the soundtrack for one of his movies and i will maybe it was django i don't remember mm-hmm. i should know because i'm a huge fan but mm-hmm. like again i yeah. just off the top of my head can't remember <laughs> But Tarantino does, like, his soundtracks are very sort of similar. Like, you got the Kill Bill. But again, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of more themed to whatever it is. Like, Inglorious Bastards kind of has mm-hmm. that, like, Germanic feel sometimes yeah. to it. Um, and then, you know, obviously Kill Bill has an Eastern lilt to it. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. But, man, I know the soundtrack's going to be good no matter what. So I can't, yes. I can't fault, I'm not <laughs> going to fault this movie for it unless for some reason Morricone just has a huge misstep. And if Mr. Carpenter has played a song uh, at his yeah. wedding, I, I imagine I have to at least respect the soundtrack. <laughs> it's hard not to, honestly. They're just, you can hear Morricone and go, ah, I, I know who wrote this, even if you don't know what it's from. It's amazing. Yeah, and and I feel like, too, that part of, just in general spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. and i think this is tied to more this is tied to morricone and because you know of his work with sergio leone mm-hmm. uh that the and that their interplay is that i think if the music wasn't in these movies the spaghetti westerns i don't mm-hmm. think they'd be as good as they are oh gosh no. and i also because i think that the music and the sound design of these movies are what makes them as good as they are because the acting while you know i like clint eastwood's <laughs> acting in like yeah. the dollars trilogy I mean, it's not like he's, you know, winning Oscars for Best Actor. I, <laughs> no. I, at least I don't think he ever did for those movies. I don't think so, no. It's more like they're, they're more personalities than actors, in a sense, to where I, I don't feel like they're... I feel like I'm watching Clint Eastwood on the screen versus I feel like I'm watching the character. He's I'm watching Dirty Harry kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the... The Western is all about the larger than life characterizations mm-hmm. of people. And I think that's why you get a lot of actors like again, Clint Eastwood and John Wayne. John like Wayne, yeah. you don't remember the name of the characters mm-hmm. so much as you remember. And again, I Sergio Leone does that because he's the man with no name. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's like, does it matter? Does it it doesn't matter is? because yeah. here's, here's what he does. It's his personality. <laughs> and I think that's part mm-hmm. of the Western is that it's about that it's not about the individual person necessarily mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. It's about how they act mm-hmm. in relation to their their surroundings. Yeah. Like the the land is a character. It's yeah. something that they're that they're fighting against the people uh, that they're fighting against. Mm-hmm. Like the bad guys. Like yeah, they got to shoot them. That you know the the girl that they get. Even her <laughs> name isn't important. It's no. just that she gets saved yeah. at some point, right? <laughs> That's the whole point of these westerns. Is that it's a larger than life 
sometimes tall tale mm-hmm. or a tale about it. And sometimes you can have really good character moments in a movie uh, or a really good character development. But I think it's not necessarily necessary for a Western because it's more so about man's... It's almost primal in a way, <laughs> is that you have like... Especially the spaghetti Westerns. Not necessarily the John Wayne Westerns because some of those are more character driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the spaghetti Westerns in general, I feel, is that it is more of an allegory about man's struggle against nature and other and and other men basically <laughs> yeah. it's it's sort of more of a primal thing and that's why spaghetti westerns are more i guess abstract i don't know what, what are your Ooh. thoughts on that one that's a deep thought to have about spaghetti westerns because mostly i think of them as i mean spaghetti is just generically good most people enjoy spaghetti and most people enjoy spaghetti westerns because they they're just fun to put it into like a huge concept like that of being abstract that's a lot to take in. I mean, it is. Well, I mean, so like, think about it. Like the, mm-hmm. the plot of, of this movie mm-hmm. is sort mm-hmm. of a basic concept, but it's so basic that mm-hmm. you think, is this really an archetype? You can think of mm-hmm. these things as myths, right? Okay. Yeah. So think in a more Kurosawa or even mm-hmm. like George Lucas in Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, you are taking these concepts and some of the other bigger Westerns like, mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess like the searchers or like a stagecoach stuff like that, where it's like mm-hmm. sort of a generic plot, but then you've got like these other things happening in it. Mm-hmm. You have, instead of a story that you're following of characters, you mm-hmm. are following an archetype of some sort of mythology, right? Okay. You have in, in this movie, it's a story about uh, a railroad that hires an assassin to kill a woman mm-hmm. who is not selling her land to them. Mm-hmm. And you have the guy who comes up to protect her, right? Okay, so you've yeah. got the you got the struggle versus good and evil. You've mm-hmm. got the you've got the at least in some part selfless nature of man okay. struggling with the greed of man. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what it is. And you have like these things where it's like you've got the the innocent individual mm-hmm. versus like you've got this corporate or state <laughs> entity, yeah. right? So it's a it's an allegory of basically these two these two sort of warring factions where it's 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 the the individual versus the collective right okay and then you have like them being portrayed by their like avatars or or their (laughs) uh or their champions right and that's that's the sort of the 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 duel that you have there and like in the dollars trilogy Mm -hmm. especially the good the bad and the ugly right oh you have the good the bad (laughs) and and the the ugly It, it it represents the the sort of Again, the mythology of, mm-hmm. of sort of these characters, these larger-than-life characters that are boiled down into these constituent parts. Are they all exactly just good, bad, and ugly? Mm-hmm. No, but they are representative of those mm-hmm. sort of archetypes, right? You've got the ugly, just ugly nature of man, right? Mm-hmm. Who just sleazy, will do anything, will dirty, will <laughs> double-cross you. But at the same time, like, he could do something good. Maybe inadvertently, yeah. but he does. You got the bad who is only out for himself. Mm-hmm. He is just, he is, you know, chaotic evil uh, <laughs> in a in a sense versus like the yeah. chaotic neutral, right? And then you have the the good who objectively, maybe he's not really all that good, but maybe he tries his best, <laughs> yeah. right? And you've got that sort of Mexican standoff at the end and like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got all that going on. So I think that's where spaghetti Westerns kind of get more, it's not about the character, it's about mm-hmm. the myth that they're telling. It's about okay, the, the yeah. tale, uh, and that's 
but it's got all the constituent parts of the western it's got mm-hmm. the girl it's mm-hmm. got the lonesome hero uh it's got the 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 landscape which is in and of itself a character and then it's got this wraparound of a myth Mm -hmm. john wayne movies have those a Mm -hmm. lot of times but a lot of times his characters are more about like the searchers it's it's about john wayne's character and you know of what he's going through and Mm -hmm. and and the the development of that where it's got all these other factors Mm -hmm. but it's more focused on that character or the character of martin Mm -hmm. uh going through it or you've got like um uh, I guess I'll, I'll throw this one out there, like a Big Jake, mm-hmm. uh, where it's the character of Jacob McCandles, who's like struggling against this this modern world, right? Mm-hmm. He's this old school guy struggling against this modern world, but it's also about his character development to learn not just to be this old school hard ass, mm-hmm. but to accept the sort of the new things going in because he's got to save his grandson. Mm-hmm. It's like that he's never met, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like he's embracing the new but he's also kind of like making sure that like, yeah, we keep our tradition. So you've mm-hmm. got that overall myth in a lot of Westerns. And that's kind of like where you see like Kurosawa films, mm-hmm. although it's more of a Japanese lilt, right? Yeah. Or also re- recycled Westerns. <laughs> it's sort of a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like Star Wars, which takes all of that and mm-hmm. like, here's the hero myth. <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't really matter that the character's name is Luke Skywalker. It doesn't matter because he's a stand-in for like, the general generic hero like it could have Mm -hmm. been anybody right (laughs) and it doesn't matter how they act or how the character develops it's how he acts in in response to the story the overall myth and other figures within Mm it uh so it's not necessarily about the acting or the characters and i think that's what the spaghetti westerns are and i've been rambling for like a million years i don't know what what do you do you have any (laughs) Um, I, Any thoughts? you know, that really does agree with thoughts I've had about acting in a lot of Western movies though, or, you know, Western style even is that it, you can't just have anyone play a character in a Western. They have to be someone who can carry a personality as large as that myth is, which is why John Wayne is such a prolific actor in Westerns is because he can carry that. He's, he's, a, he's a big man. He's already. a myth in and of itself. Yeah. He is the man, the myth, and the legend. Yeah. Same um, with Clint Eastwood. Yes. Clint and Eastwood I guess really that. Charles Bronson, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I think Charles Bronson's going to be good in this movie. Even if this movie, I don't think it's good necessarily. The actors, I will just say this going in, they have the ability to pull it off. Yeah. Whether or not they do is going to be heavily dependent on, you know, does it really stand up to that mythological level of is it did they sell it to me right or did they just like say hey we're doing another spaghetti western because we like it and but i mean there's so many big names in this how can they screw it up like yeah i mean i i don't know also too like leone he wanted to actually go and make um once upon a time in america oh really uh which was i think came out in like 84 or something like that but the studio was like no, you can't come to, you need to make another <laughs> spaghetti Western for us because okay. the last three did very well. We're not going to let you make whatever movie you want. So he kind of was like doing this is like, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like Sergio Leone doesn't really kind of, he doesn't really half-ass things. Yeah, he kind no. of just, he puts his whole ass into it, <laughs> you know? But you're right. I, I think that a lot of people look back and say, on westerns especially the older ones like mm-hmm. it's not necessarily about the acting right mm-hmm. because the acting in some of these can be just not great yeah. like it's never b movie bad right mm-hmm. yeah at least in the good ones it's always acceptable at the very it's least. an acceptable level of like good because you come into the ex- with the expectation of again i think mm-hmm. we just know 
yeah. instinctively that it's they're portraying a caricature or a myth mm-hmm. more so or a concept yeah more so so you can have like john wayne being kind of ridiculous or like <laughs> um you know, whoever else, like, you know, you can have the, the man with no name. Yeah. You can have Clint Eastwood not being a named character, technically. <laughs> yeah. And it's still good. Uh, like, I think he was in another movie, and it wasn't technically a Spaghetti Western, I don't think, but it was um, Pale Rider. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you seen yeah, that I've one? I've seen Pale Rider. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Where, it's a good one. Again, I think he's he's just known as, like, Padre or Father yeah. or something. Like, he doesn't <laughs> have a name in that movie. It's the same deal. He's this archetype of like this con- this this sort of confluence of what happens when religion mm-hmm. hits this wild frontier, <laughs> yeah. right? And what like just all of these things melding together. And I don't know that a lot of modern westerns really hit that, and that's why I think that like they're really I don't know because there are a bunch that I want to see mm-hmm. that that I really do want to see uh, very sincerely but I, there are none that i've really seen that just hit like um i think the, the remake of like high noon or mm-hmm. um there's a couple others that i i'm struggling to name right now or they just yeah, true grit well true yeah, grit was actually was pretty good well again though that was the coen brothers and <laughs> the coen brothers i think they like their western i think they only do westerns frankly <laughs> not going down that rabbit hole again <laughs> I think really the Coen brothers are the ones that actually just make the best Westerns, <laughs> even though, even if it's not a Western, it's because they, they tell these myths, yeah. right? I think that's what it is, is. They're telling myths and they get these actors who are larger than life, like um, Josh Brolin mm-hmm. in, in uh, Hail Caesar, he's able to pull it off. Uh, Jeff Bridges and Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. he's able to pull it off. Um, pretty much everybody in Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But... Yeah, it's just there aren't many modern westerns that I've seen that have really just they focus too much on the characters, which mm-hmm. is funny to say because I love a movie that mm-hmm. carries a character forward. Yeah, but if you don't, if you're doing a western and you're not making it a tall tale or legendary yeah. or something like that, or, or or carrying this myth forward and having a larger than life persona, I think you're kind of missing the point. Honestly, yeah, because westerns. The more I think about them, it's more about the personality of the thing I am watching, not even necessarily the person. It's more about the personality and the way it carries itself than, oh, well, he went from being a terrible person to a good person. Like, I, I knew that was going to happen because mm. that's how the story goes. Yeah. And you know, in no uncertain terms, that like, the girl mm-hmm. is going to get saved. Yeah. Well, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least someone is going to get saved. Yes. And the good guy is going to fight with the bad guy. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a big fight. And almost invariably, the good guy will win because that's the myth. Yeah. Because we as humans want to believe that we are more good than bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be Westerns that have bummer endings where the bad guys win. But honestly, mm-hmm. I can't think of any off the top <laughs> of my head. I'm sure there has to be. Yeah. Or... Yeah, I can kind of think of it where the ending is a bummer, but the good guys still come out on top. Yeah. Um, like the Cowboys, spoiler alert, John Wayne dies, but the good guys still come out on top. They win. They they fight the evil entity that took out the personality that is John Wayne. Yeah, and and basically his, his myth and his legend was mm-hmm. carried on by the rest of these people yeah. in the movie. Uh, and yeah, it was... That's a great movie. I need to watch that again. Yes. But it's it really is that way where it's like, yeah, the, someone, the good guy almost always wins. If the good guy doesn't win, I don't I don't really know if I can call you a Western, <laughs> frankly. 
Yeah, which is funny because as much as we've uh, been talking about it being a bit of a mythology, most mythological stories have tragic endings where the good guys die miserably and the bad guys don't necessarily win, but they crush the personality that is, you know, in the case of a Western, it would be John Wayne. John Wayne would be destroyed. His name would be ruined. Um, you'd end up with your Oedipus complex, all those kinds of things. That's, that's really the classic myth, but all of the Westerns is... Well, I think really the um, the sort of the Jungian archetype myth mm. necessarily more than is what I'm thinking of, more so than okay, the classical yeah. Greek mythology, which, again, the Jungian myth is sort of where that is because you usually have some good come of it. Yeah. Is sort of where that ends, mm -hmm. but that's getting way into the weeds on, like, <laughs> psychology and stuff. Let's so. not do that. Let's, let's not. I, I had enough of that in college. <laughs> I don't really want to revisit it. Gosh, no. Um but yeah, I, oof, where were we on this? I don't know what, I'm not sure where to go with it. Do you, do you have any final thoughts on Once Upon a Time in the West and what your impressions, thoughts before we wrap it up? Based on just the names involved alone, this will be, I, I have high hopes it will be at least well done. Even if I don't love it, it'll be a movie I can like. Mm. I get the distinct impression and I love the Dollars trilogy, but I mm -hmm. think that sometimes they really, especially... And even in the good, the bad, and the ugly, they have stuff that like really just falls flat sometimes. But mm -hmm. overall, as a as a trilogy mm -hmm. uh, and the movies themselves, I really like them. I wouldn't say they're my favorite westerns of all time. I haven't grown up with these spaghetti westerns, right? Yeah. They kind of came to me later. But I do like the whole spaghetti western mythos and and how they work. I think I'm actually probably surprisingly, even though Clint Eastwood's not in this one, I think I might. My gut is to say that I'm gonna like this one more than like okay. even the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'm probably going to give this one probably if we're gonna if we're gonna put a number on it, and I don't <laughs> know why we do that, I would Jeez. I would give it tentatively four and a half snake pliskins is where I'm gonna set it at. I, I don't know that I'm gonna give it a perfect five, mm -hmm. but I think four and a half is where I'll set it. Okay. I think I'm really going to enjoy this movie I, I i hesitate to give it a number over a four so i'm going to drop a, a 3.8 snake pliskins on it i think i'm going to come up um beyond 3.8 once we've watched the movie but just initially yeah henry fonda is a bad guy really <laughs> it it is weird like because oh. have you seen like you've seen grapes of wrath right his version uh, the john ford henry it's been uh, a while grapes of wrath yeah 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 yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. It. it's been a while and then like it's just because again, like he's mm -hmm. he's such he's such like a mild mannered good guy and <laughs> yeah and then like in uh, that other movie that Here's I mentioned mine before, and ours, I think yeah, yours mine and ours like and then a few others that I've seen mm -hmm. too that I that I don't recall what they were but I distinctly remember Fonda being in them. Mm -hmm. He's he's just always a goody two shoes. <laughs> yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be probably jarring. Mm -hmm. It's also gonna be jarring. Like I feel. And I, I don't know, maybe not as, because I'm used to seeing Charles Bronson kill people. Yeah. But maybe not, like, be, like, the, the clear hero in a movie. And I don't <laughs> know if he's going to be, because usually in these spaghetti westerns, like, Clint Eastwood isn't always just, like, a pure hero, right? Yeah. He's kind of an anti-hero <laughs> in a lot of cases. So mm -hmm. I feel like Bronson isn't going to be that much of a stretch, and I'm going to like him a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not as much as Eastwood, but I think that overall I might enjoy this one more. I don't know. I... It's really more of a gut feeling than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been a while since I've seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, so I've, you know, kind of chilled on 
on all of those. So maybe this will make me want to revisit those and just <laughs> see if I if I just maybe like those even more. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I hope to like them even more. Jeez. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, I guess with that said, let's go watch this movie and we'll see you on the other side. I saw three of these dusters a short time ago. They were waiting for a train. Inside the dusters, there were three men. So? Inside the men, there were three bullets. See, I ain't the mean bastard people make out. Who are you? But they were his men. Yeah. And they tried to kill him. They must have found somebody who pays better. And you, you saved his life. I didn't let them kill him, and that's not the same thing. Nothing matters now, not the land, not the money, not the woman. I came here to see you. Them steam engines can't roll without water. And the only water for 50 miles west of Flagstone is right here, under this land. He was no fool, our dead friend, huh? Desert forest weight in gold. You don't sell the dream of a lifetime. You got the rights to build it. They were all alive until they met you, Frank. I only told you to scare them. People scare better when they're dying. I'm kind of mad at you. How does it feel sitting behind that desk, Frank? It's almost like holding a gun, only much more powerful. You're sort of a handsome man. But I'm not the right man, and neither is he. You bring a horse for me? <laughs> Looks like we're... <laughs> Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm Mike and I'm here with Michael. Hello. We just finished watching Once Upon a Time in the West, directed by Sergio Leone. Yeah. To recap what we gave this film, I thought I was going to put it at a 4.5 out of 5 Snake Pliskins. You were thinking a 3.8 out of mm -hmm. 5 Snake Pliskins. I'm going to turn mm -hmm. the floor over to you okay. first. What did you think of it? uh just another reminder to everyone who is listening in if you have not seen the movie 100 percent, absolutely go see the movie now and then come back and listen to this because oh my gosh i loved this movie i also loved yeah. this movie honestly maybe more than i thought i would <laughs> i would not be surprised by that i I, like honestly coming into the 3.5 that sounds like it's going to be a pretty good movie i'm definitely over a four now um i think i was a little caught off guard by the slow start that didn't feel slow like i think the introduction to that movie took maybe 10 minutes of just dudes walking around i was wondering railroad. when it would when it would pop off yeah and i'm and i'm just sitting there watching it just waiting waiting and waiting <laughs> It never felt not tense. No, that's the best part. It's just every th single moment of that, I'm going, okay, it's coming. Yeah, and then it did. But yeah, this I, I would also recommend that strongly. I mean, obviously, we did have some spoilers in the first half, oh, but there's yeah. probably going to be many more spoilers in this half. So I would definitely say 100%, I agree with you, go watch this movie. Uh, it is a long one. It doesn't feel long, though. Like, even though there's a lot of parts that almost the whole movie, I guess you could even say, is slow, there's never a moment where I felt the pacing was off or I was waiting for something to happen. I just felt every muscle in my body kind of tensing up, waiting for the next thing to transpire. Yeah, I, I think 
really that was the thing of it. It was just a really good they kept a really good tension almost oh, the yeah. entire time, even when it was slow. Because this is definitely a slow movie mm-hmm. for the majority of it. I mean, even in the gunfights, oh, it yeah. feels slow. <laughs> you never feel like it's bad, yeah. right? I mean, think about the, the the famous scene at the end of The Good, uh, the, good the Bad, and the Ugly, where it's mm-hmm. the Mexican standoff. That scene <laughs> takes probably, I don't know, it's been a while since I've seen it, but what, like a half an hour? <laughs> <laughs> feels like it some days. <laughs> or maybe I'm just thinking about when they're trying to go through the desert, and that's actually just a half an hour of the movie. Um, <laughs> like... Going back, um, did you have you seen the Dollars trilogy? By I have the way? not. No. Okay, I didn't think you did. I th- I thought we discussed that in the first half, but I think I like this better than the entirety of the Dollars trilogy. Okay. I want to go back and revisit it mm-hmm. now that I've seen this to see just really where I stand. But man, I was impressed as hell with this movie. <laughs> I guess since we both really liked it. Mm-hmm. There were a few things that I didn't like, and I think we're probably going to end up being right on the same page with this one. Were there okay. things you didn't like in this movie? Um, yes. I'm curious to see what your response to this is. I believe they were wrong to pick Henry Fonda as the villain. I think he did a really good job, a very respectable job, but some guys just don't have a voice to be evil. If I'm allowed to say that, he didn't sound villainous. He sounded like Henry Fonda, who I really love as an actor. He wasn't unconvincing. It's just, you know, sometimes you're delivering this cold blooded line and I want to have a chilling voice to accompany that line. And he didn't really sell it for me um, as far as just really the tone of his voice. Um, Like I can't fault his acting. It's just his voice. I I think that was definitely part of it. Although Mm -hmm. it seems maybe a little bit more in, I think he was on and off most of the movie. I agree with you in a sense that Henry Fonda was not like, he wasn't an iconic bad guy, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But I think he was in the case of this movie, I think he was a pretty good bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at when the times he was bad, Mm -hmm. This is getting really convoluted now <laughs> in my head. He was he was really good at being bad a fair amount of the time, but there mm-hmm. were times when, yes, you wanted a little bit more out of it because you could tell that there were times when his voice just didn't quite carry the weight it should yeah. have. And his body, like his body motions and like like that mm-hmm. confidence that you consider yeah. like a, a bad guy from a Western to exude, like mm-hmm. um, when you have Lee Van Cleef in the Dollars oh. trilogy. Like Lee Van Cleef, like... He just exudes bad guy. Like, it's just pure charisma, uh, like, in every movement that he makes. Henry Fonda has, like, this weird awkwardness to him at times <laughs> that I think really was just brought on by the fact that, yes, he did not he did not play bad guys, and he, no. he never did again. But I think that the times when he was good, and this is where I'll maybe differ with you a little bit, mm-hmm. was when it was he was using that... When it was a combination, right? When he was okay. doing bad stuff mm-hmm. and he, he was on with the either the voice or he was on with physicality of the mm-hmm. of the role. And and he used like if he was on with the physicality of the role and he used the voice, mm-hmm. but he still had that intense stare, like yeah. the bad guy stare that you have. And I think it was unsettling mm-hmm. more than more than bad in a lot of cases. But there were times when it was just, yeah, he fell a little flat. Mm-hmm. Especially towards the end. 
I would agree with that, yeah. Like, I really enjoyed the scene where he's in the train with, I think Morton's the guy who yeah. runs the train, the train baron. And they're just, it's not really even an argument so much. It's, I think, towards the beginning of the movie where he's just saying, I want to go out and I want to kill people. That's that's my job. I'm Frank. I kill people. I'm Henry Fonda's Frank. I shoot people. That's how I solve problems. And Morton's like, you can't solve all your problems that way. And there's uh, that j- just weird, he's figuring out Henry Fonda is as a character that um, maybe he doesn't have what it takes to be the train baron, but he still wants it. And he's willing to try and get it, I guess, is, is kind of the feeling I got from that scene. Yeah. I thought that was really good for him as a bad guy. Yeah. And I think progressively as you got on, I think mm-hmm. he was, I think really the tipping point was like, the the love scene quote unquote <laughs> if you can call it that and that was that whole section was a bit jarring for me yeah um because the pacing was weird and you mm-hmm. didn't i had a hard time following uh that bit until later on when it was like oh that this is yeah. what's happening because yeah. she's she knows frank <laughs> because she was a prostitute in mm-hmm. baton rouge mm-hmm. Uh, and then she was basically, she convinced some, some dude out here who had staked a claim who said he was going to be rich, mm-hmm. uh, so that she could start a new life with a, with a new family. They get murdered at the beginning of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. and then she takes over and it's kind of like a, she wants to get out of, like, she doesn't want to get out of it. She wants to get out of it. She doesn't. Yeah. And really she's kind of flip floppy the whole time. And I think she does a good job of it. Cause I think she doesn't know what she wants. Cause like everything that she's. I think the character of Jill was very well done, but I think mm-hmm. there could have been some more tightening on the story uh, yeah. with her backstory and more explanations. I think where the movie really shines, though, for me, was the characters of Harmonica and Cheyenne. Oh, yes. Uh, I... And I think I like Cheyenne more than Charles Bronson's Harmonica. I, I felt like he had definitely more character development and more um, of a personality than I play the harmonica. Yeah. Um, it's Jason Roberts, by Jason the way. Jason Roberts, okay. Um, I think without harmonica as the character to like spur him on, though, um, he wouldn't have been nearly as good of a character. Just because, I mean, his motivation would have been, I am an outlaw criminal, but in this he like develops into... Um, yes, I'm an outlaw criminal, but I'm also, I don't, I wouldn't even say trying to help people, but I'm interested in Charles Bronson's character of Harmonica to where I want to help him, maybe? Cheyenne is a very, I guess, not necessarily complex character, because really they're all, and I think this can go back to our first half of the mm-hmm. movie, but I'll save that for a minute, but I think yeah. Cheyenne's character is definitely something where uh, you do have a more complexity it's mm-hmm. it's morally gray where he has a certain code of ethics that he yeah. follows it may not be society's code of ethics <laughs> yeah. but like it seems like he's a he's a no good son of a bitch but he seems like he you know he's not doing it for the sake of being a no good okay, son of yeah. a bitch he's basically it's kind of the circumstance of his of his rough life <laughs> okay which is what i i got from it, yeah from it and i think that towards the end and he starts thinking maybe a guy like me can settle down yeah but then (laughs) rest in peace then rest Uh, in peace cheyenne he gets gut shot and he realizes you know that ain't just for me and he goes out (laughs) into the desert and dies yeah Uh, (laughs) that actually was a really emotional scene for me even though it wasn't 
I mean, clearly they weren't trying to hit you in the face with, ah, you need to start crying. I think that was a better way to do just a death scene in general was, ah, you didn't see that coming, did you? I'm like, damn, no, I didn't. It was, I was wondering what was going on. It, it did keep me guessing be, how they did it uh, because it was like, he, he he looked like he was just like maybe a little, like increasingly yeah. queasy through a couple scenes. And then eventually he just, it's like, you know, you think like, oh, he's going to get the girl. He's oh, going to yeah. be the guy that gets the girl. And then he like smacks her on the butt and he's like, you know what? It's not for me. <laughs> baby doll and then he doesn't say baby doll but no. he he rides out into the desert ostensibly never mm -hmm. to return or maybe return one day when he's ready oh yeah and then he does he does yeah which was yeah you're right it was surprisingly mm -hmm. an emotional gut punch i really <laughs> like cheyenne i don't know do you, before we get into that yeah. do, do you have any other thoughts on this what are what are you drive for a little bit and okay. tell me what you think um, of it or, or like if you had any other observations yeah i so I really liked Cheyenne as a character. I liked Morton as a character. I liked Harmonica as, you know, he's, I guess, the the good, the, the, you know, the gray area nebulous good guy. Um, and I really liked Frank as a villain. I didn't like Jill. I thought she was, I, I, I didn't feel like her motivation, I understood it, I guess, that she was looking for, you know, the comfortable life out here where maybe this guy will be rich and to get away from her whoring ways. Um, but I, I felt like it wasn't strong enough to make me care about her as a character, especially when you've posed her against all these giant personalities. She just, she also fell flat for me. Like, you know, Henry Fonda's acting was pretty good for the most part. She fell flat throughout most of the movie, um, in my opinion. I didn't, I think it's because the way it was set up and maybe you disagree is um, she shows up to the funeral of the family that she's married into and she owns the place um, where Frank has just come in and killed her husband and all the kids she's never seen. Um, I thought she was going to be more like a stoic matriarch rather than just kind of there almost to a certain extent. I think that that is kind of the point of it because mm -hmm. she was expecting something right she was yeah. expecting to get there and it would be essentially you know they were going to surprise everybody mm -hmm. because hey we were already married hey just you thought this was a wedding it's just <laughs> a wedding reception because we were already married yeah and she gets there and everyone she knows is dead and mm -hmm. now she just has this property that is by all intents and by all accounts worthless mm -hmm. uh until you find out later that yeah. it is the exact opposite yes. of worthless. <laughs> uh, and I think that the, that the sort of lost nature of Jill's character for a while, I think played in their favor, in her favor. But mm -hmm. I think that it never tightened up at a point where it was like, where she like, you know, decided and had resolved to do X, mm -hmm. Y, or Z. That didn't happen until the end of the movie. Yeah. Right. Cause she was kind of going back and forth on it. Like she, at one point, like they were trying to like auction off the property. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in fact, she did. Yeah. And sold it. And Harmonica <laughs> bought it. Uh, who then ostensibly, I guess, never really gave it back. <laughs> he just owns he it. He just owns it and then left. <laughs> I guess. I, it's never really clear. Like, yeah. He kind of, he had the um, the wherewithal to be like, look, I see what's happening. If we don't stop Frank here, this is what's going to happen. And you lady are my ticket to it. You mm -hmm. have to help me with this. 
because Frank's not going to give up X, Y, Z. Like, mm-hmm. look, we're going to stop him here. We're not going to just stop him with guns. We're going to mm-hmm. stop him with, like, stop yeah. by stopping the railroad <laughs> or at least stopping him accumulating more power. Yeah. Because Harmonica also had a past with, uh, with Frank mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it was, I think, unfortunate that she never came to that realization of, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be resolved to, like, this is going to be my new like railroad stop town. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, I'm going to be the one to run it. I'm going to keep yeah. it. I think for a while she was. And then when she, you know, after the whole like Frank threatened to kill her and then she banged mm-hmm. her way out of it. Yeah. That was the mm-hmm. point where I think she really needed to like man up <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and take a stand one way or the other. Like just either mm-hmm. leave the picture entirely and just say, look, I'm done with this. Yeah. And then, not come back until like maybe even just the the very end where it's like mm-hmm. or or harmonica says hey you know what i i don't want this here's the deed to your property go yeah. back and run this railroad town mm-hmm. i i gotta go back to wherever i'm from or if she were to be like all right i'm going to go and just try to do the best i can despite frank right yeah she never did that so you're right i think that that was i don't think it was quite as bad as you say because i think mm-hmm. i know the middle of the movie was a bit it was a bit iffy with continuity yeah. and pacing, but for the most part, I think it was, I think it played into her favor up into a certain point mm-hmm. where she really needed to make that decision. I don't think she did. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, if you walk into somebody's funeral where mm-hmm. and you expected, you know, them to be marrying you, you are going to be really like shell shock yeah. to borrow the term, I guess. <laughs> Um, a form of PTSD and you're just sitting there like, what do I even do with myself? I yeah. don't know how to, I'm, I am a prostitute <laughs> and I don't know how to run a farm. Oh yeah. <laughs> you get that sense really well. And mm-hmm. I think it works mm-hmm. up until a point. Yeah. I think they did a really good job of building up to that point with, you know, she's dressed in all these, fa- dressed in all these fancy clothes as she gets off the train and the guy's taking her out into the middle of nowhere and even the guy himself is going, oh my gosh, that piece of land is worth nothing. Uh, the guy who's taking her out there. They did a really good job of building up to that. But as far as resolution to it, I just, I, I felt like her character was lacking. I almost was wishing that instead of killing the youngest boy in that family, whose name doesn't matter because he's in the movie for two seconds, I think they should have just let him live. And that could have been her resolution moment at the end is I need to take care of a kid I've never met before, but who was my husband's child. And I will do that. That's my resolve at the end of the movie. Um, that's clearly what they not what they were going for. And I can respect that. But it, I just didn't like her character as much, I think, for... Yeah, she was very good in the scenes that she was in. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was Claudia Cardinal, by mm-hmm. the way, is who it was. But yeah, no, I, I okay. agree with that um, for the most part. So I wanted to bring this back, I guess, to the first part of the episode okay. where we talked about sort of spaghetti westerns as mythology because yeah. <laughs> i think i think i don't know if i come down if i'm still agreeing with that or not mm-hmm. i think i do but i wanted to see if you still kind of had uh a, a, a sense of that because i i think it is uh especially in this case mm-hmm. because really most of the characters are not like their character development is not necessarily important with the mm-hmm. exception of maybe maybe jill and maybe Mm -hmm. um uh, cheyenne okay yeah and i think that they are maybe more representative Mm -hmm. of something uh so my my thought is that basically you have in a western right Mm -hmm. you have 
especially a spaghetti western. You have yeah. the man versus nature, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that manifest destiny of man pushing yeah. west, doing all this. That's that's part of a western. The land is a character that you're constantly struggling mm-hmm. against. Um, that's a given. But on that backdrop, you also have, I think, maybe at least a couple of the deadly sins <laughs> happening here. Okay. Uh, where you have clearly you have a uh, Morton who is who's greed, greed, yeah, uh, or even like in a certain way like like lust uh, okay, for yeah. like I have to get to okay yeah this I place. can see that and you have also you know um, you've got uh, Frank who is definitely uh, you know like just sort of like this inherent like evil bastard yeah. who just wants to just be evil for the sake of being evil because he likes it and it's fun and it's how he does things mm-hmm. but then you have that counterpoint of harmonica who mm-hmm. is essentially no i'm i'm just trying to get justice <laughs> yeah. and revenge it's like not oh, just yeah. justice it's revenge too <laughs> so i think you have these themes right where you mm-hmm. have and really maybe it's almost that that cheyenne and frank are foils to each other oh I can uh, see that, yeah. And Morton and Harmonica are foils to each other, right? Okay, yeah. Cheyenne and Frank, you have these like these big characters who are sort of carrying forward these ideas of, you know, like, hey, there's this bad dude doing bad stuff. Mm-hmm. There it's he's being propelled by greed in this like landscape that's ripe for the taking. And then you have these two and then you have this person who's trying to stop them. Then you have kind of caught up in it this this person who is I think the only real sort of maybe character of Cheyenne mm-hmm. where it's like he's just a man trying to do his thing yeah and he gets caught up in this bigger larger than life sort of struggle mm-hmm. and then he ends up obviously paying for it with his life but I yeah. think he comes out at least on the other end of it I think at least at peace with at least one or two things that he's done in his life yeah because he does something worthwhile and at the same time uh, uh Jill Claudia Cardinal's mm-hmm. character I think also does that too at the very end where she's like look I'm I'm not sure where what I'm where I've been, where I'm going to, but I am, you know, going to do I guess the human thing and mm-hmm. just persevere in this landscape. Yeah. They're I think the only two like real non mythological characters. The mm-hmm. other ones are all kind of just larger than life forces <laughs> yeah. that are just painted across the landscape. Mm-hmm. I know I, I maybe wasn't <laughs> as consistent in that like in that analogy, but I think it felt like a very big mythology with like I guess maybe like Jason and the Argonauts, but if it was from like focusing on like one of the crew of the Argonauts, right? Okay, yeah. Or, or like you know, like his first mate or <laughs> yeah, something like yeah. that, you know, or it's like he's involved and he's like a big <laughs> part of it, but mm-hmm. it's not quite, he's not quite the impetus of everything, right? Okay, he just yeah. ends up coming out of it, you know, better or worse on the other end of it. And he's <laughs> yeah. like the kind of the true mortal, uh, mm-hmm. the foil for like everyday man. Um, that That's kind of how I... Mm-hmm. I felt about it as far as that goes. I, I don't know. Did you kind of get that those vibes? I, I know it yeah. felt big and larger than life, which is, I mean, it was a Western through and through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say it still does definitely feel very uh, mythological in a sense, though I would contend that more so than the landscape, although the landscape is, you know, barren desert landscape and they're kind of worried about that i would say the railroad itself was more um the uh, big entity that they're kind of fighting against at least as far as not not like fighting against as in to stop it 
but to work themselves around it to their own best advantage. Um, you know, whether it's for, you know, I need to expand the railroad because I own the railroad, I'm Morton, I make money that way, or the railroad is coming, I am Jill, and I need to do the best that I can now with all of these other circumstances going around, um, with Frank going, well, I need to make sure that railroad's going to go on, and I need to do that by shooting people, so that's what I'm going to do. And then almost Cheyenne and um, Harmonica are the characters that are kind of just there, almost in a sense, um, as in Cheyenne's there to do his, you know, his, what he was raised to do, which was not really a whole lot, because I think he mentioned he didn't know his father, and his mother was, I think, a whore? Yes. Or something along that those lines. Um, or a woman of loose morals, to the very least. Um, so, you know, he didn't really have a, a really good cemented bottom to start with. He's just, I'm kind of an outlaw. That's what I do. Um, and then Harmonica just comes in. Oh, well, all of this stuff is going on. All I really need to do is kill Frank because, um, as we find out, like really in the end of the movie, um, Frank uh, killed Harmonica's older brother. Um, by making him stand underneath him while his older brother was uh, in a noose, as uh, whatever you call that thing that you're standing on. Like yeah, and he stone. made him like stand on like yeah, yeah, on like a basically like he was standing on tiptoe and like yeah. he couldn't like hold Move it and then until he he fell out. over yeah. and passed. Yeah, uh, um, which by the way, I think that if if they would have kept Henry Fonda, the bearded Henry Fonda, oh, through the yeah. whole movie, <laughs> that was a bad ombre. <laughs> Like, I, yes, that would have helped sell a lot more, I think, just because beards make you look bad. Yeah, they they really do. <laughs> um, and and he that scene where it was like, then I really believe that oh, he yeah. was like, that's why I said, like, towards the end, it was kind of getting flaky. Mm -hmm. But like that scene at the end where you get the reveal, where okay, it's like, yeah. this is Harmonica's relationship to Frank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like, okay, I <laughs> see it now. This is, yeah, he's the villain. He definitely is. <laughs> Um, that was one of the yeah. very good scenes I oh, think yeah. with him in it. Um, okay. I, I guess almost talking that through in my own head, I'm going maybe actually Harmonica and Cheyenne are actually the mythological characters because everyone else is more controlled by the railway and the environment. Like Frank works for the railroad guy. The railroad guy works on the railroad. And then at the end of the movie, you see Harmonica's riding away doesn't matter what happens to the railroad they're still building it and you hear it in the background for that final kind of fight scene between harmonica and frank is up railroad's still coming don't worry about that jill is still um kind of subservient to it because you know cheyenne says go out there let the railroad workers pat you on the bottom they've earned it that was an odd thing to say to a woman but i found it kind of funny um but anyway cheyenne and harmonica are the only two guys who like escape from the railroad as it were i don't think that harmonica was ever necessarily beholden or driven by the railroad mm -hmm. i think it was just the railroad might have been the cause because mm -hmm. ostensibly you can say that like maybe this was like you know way back east or something like mm -hmm. this was you know frank doing this to his brother in a similar circumstance okay, right yeah. um or maybe it was just frank before he even got on the railroad yeah. so it's not clear what because obviously this is this is years and years ago. Oh yeah. Because it's like you know a young thirty man like thirty scene. years on yeah. basically right, and I think that you have the railroad, which mm -hmm. is every. 
I guess put it in a sense of free will, right? Okay. Um, look at everybody in the movie. And the reason why I say Jill might have been the other, like, real human character okay. is that I think at, at a certain point she did have free will to leave the railroad because she was going mm-hmm. to, right? Okay, yeah. I think at the end she became part of it again, enveloped mm-hmm. into the mythology of the landscape and the mm-hmm. railroad and the transformation of the West. Mm-hmm. But... You know, Morton, he is he's the railroad. Yeah. He is part the railroad. of the railroad. Frank, he is mm-hmm. he's this other part of the railroad that's even darker and, yeah. and grimier. <laughs> and they both have this singular thing that they are basically you're right, they're subservient to this mm-hmm. idea of the railroad. And they, they are basically the impetus that is that of everything they do is tied to this railroad and mm-hmm. they, they don't really seem to have free will. And that's why I said yeah. it's more mythological because okay. mythological characters really don't have <laughs> generally speaking, unless you are the hero mm-hmm. and usually it's the mortal hero, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, don't have free will. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your Medusas and your Cyclopses and your, oh, yeah. your, your <laughs> gods and stuff like that mm-hmm. who are doing the things, you know, Hades and Zeus yeah. and all these things. Um, because they're driven by sort of an idea, right? Mm-hmm. Zeus is just this horny lightning bolt thrower, <laughs> and Hades is like, yes, give me souls when they die. And that's what they do, yeah. because it's part of their nature. So I think that at this point, Frank and Morton, their nature was the railroad, mm-hmm. right? Or parts yeah. of it. And Jill, coming into it, I think she was driven by it, but I don't think it was her nature yet. I think mm-hmm. it, she comes into it and maybe makes it something that's softer and less dark right <laughs> yeah because like hey this is sort of a hopeful ending yeah the mm-hmm. railroad still comes through mm-hmm. it's not as dark right it okay, doesn't yeah. have the same feeling because she affected it with her choices mm-hmm. that she made maybe not hers but mm-hmm. then you have harmonica who is not necessarily driven by the railroad i think he's driven by a similar impetus mm-hmm. which is not the railroad it is justice and or vengeance in yeah. his mind and once he's done with that i think he could have essentially just become a ghost and faded away. Because <laughs> yeah. once that's done, he has no character whatsoever. <laughs> he, do- he doesn't exist as a as a concept in this landscape. He doesn't belong. Yeah, because he even gives up the harmonica in the end of the movie, shoves it in Frank's mouth. He's like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, that's it. And that's, that's the whole thing, because he <laughs> is harmonica. That's yeah. his name. And then he gives it away, and then he may as well be gone. Cheyenne... Yeah. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. He was, he didn't land on the railroad. The railroad yeah. landed on him. <laughs> and he's just trying to make the best of the situation. He doesn't want his name to be mud because of all this railroad coming in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I said, you know, he probably had the biggest impact as like as far as free will goes. Because mm-hmm. there is a scene where like he just inexplicably decides to save Harmonica on the train. Yeah. And without that, <laughs> yeah. without that decision of him, you know what? And it was selfish in a way, and he was self-motivated, right? Yeah. He didn't have any other any other thing that was driving him other than just, I'm Cheyenne, and someone's pretending to be me and my men. And Yo. so he goes, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to help this guy, because he's, he's kind of a badass, and he's mm-hmm. fighting against the guy that's dragging my name. And that mm-hmm. was his thing. And then eventually you see him sort of, I guess, you know it's not necessarily like a selfless sacrifice, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like he's a casualty, but he's okay with it because these things that were, he was vindicated in the end, at least yeah. his, what he felt was important to him, which was his self. 
Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So I think that's why I say, like, maybe Jill up until the end was mm-hmm. maybe sort of a, had free will of her own. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then Cheyenne had it until he died. But then yeah. I think everyone else in there was controlled by something that they just... Okay, yeah. They just could not necessarily get away from. And that's why I say it feels mythological to me. Yeah. Because, like, in, and we discussed this, like, in a lot of John Wayne films, right, you mm-hmm. have a character development. You mm-hmm. have something where it's, like, they always have free will, it mm-hmm. feels like. Yeah. There's not really, the landscape is driving people, but mm-hmm. I think it's people making decisions for themselves and other people in the landscape. But it's not necessarily, I think, as allegorical, mythological as, as this in Spaghetti Westerns. Because, mm-hmm. again, you have characters who have no name. Like the man who has no yeah. name. You have Harmonica. You have yeah. Cheyenne, which is not his actual name. That's mm-hmm. just a moniker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, you have Frank, but he never <laughs> goes by anything other than Frank. No. I don't think he ever. I don't think they ever say his last name. Yeah. I if don't he remember has one. that, no. Uh, and Morton, he's just mm-hmm. Morton, and he's synonymous with the railroad. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I feel like it is very, very mythy mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And honestly, with Cheyenne as like one of the, um, you know, the mortal hero type guy, he dies in the end, which is very also in keeping with the mythological standard of the hero generally dies or comes to a bad end. Not even necessarily saying Cheyenne is the hero, but his ending is not, it's bittersweet is probably a better way to put it. Yeah, But something good comes out of it. Yeah, absolutely. The resolution of the railroad, which is in, in this weirdly enough, because the railroad doesn't Nothing happens to the railroad other <laughs> no. than, again, some of the darkness, I guess, is yeah. cleansed from it and it becomes a more wholesome entity traveling mm-hmm. across the land, right? Yeah. The machine goes on. Mm-hmm. The machine continues basically barreling through this landscape with no thought to it. Mm-hmm. But it is because Frank and this e- Frank and Morton and these evil sort of like. And Morton is maybe not even evil. He's just kind of like very morally, like he allows the evil yeah. of Frank, right? It just feels like, yeah, this is a better thing that's going forward. Mm-hmm. And people died for it. I don't know. That's yeah. that's that's mostly what I've got. I don't know. Do you have do you have anything else that you want to... I have I have one question, I think, for you okay. on this. But what uh, what else do you have before we move on? Um, I think that pretty much sums it up for me um it was a really good movie and i i really like the fight scene that's not really a fight scene where harmonica is directing frank and saying frank there's a guy up there who's gonna try and kill you because it caught me off guard why is harmonica helping out frank and it took me a moment to realize oh because he wants to take frank on one by one one on one um instead of letting these guys who've been sent in by morton to kill frank he can't let that happen because that will take away his justice. I thought that was interesting and kind of a fun scene. Yeah, it was really good. Um, it did catch me off guard too. I think it was a very unique thing other than just like, oh, there's a big gunfight in town, yeah. right? Where it's just everyone knows what's going to happen, but then like, oh, your hero helps the bad guy? Yeah. But yeah, you once you realize that it is because Harmonica wants to, and it gets in Frank's head too, which mm-hmm. you can tell. That was one of the things that was very good about it was that mm-hmm. Frank is confused. Yeah. Like, why <laughs> is this guy helping me? He clearly has beef with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, which was very good. I did like that a mm-hmm. lot. This is just a very, very, very mm-hmm. good movie. And I think that even if it falls at certain points flat, mm-hmm. I think that there is just so much good in it. And the characters, mm-hmm. at least the, the, 
the portrayals of these characters and these ideas in this movie are mm -hmm. done very well. Uh, and it's punctuated very well by the music. Oh, yes. The music is, as <laughs> as expected, oh, was yeah. great. I think that the mixing could have been a little bit better when, mm -hmm. like, harmonica's playing his harmonica. It yeah. feels like it's, you obviously know it's not him playing it, mm -hmm. and it's, like, it's part of the soundtrack. Yeah. But that's kind of a nice little, <laughs> it almost makes it more, like, mythological in a way where yeah. it's, like, it's just this weird, larger-than-life character here. Do you think you could double feature this with anything or do you think this has to be because i almost feel like this is i mean it's a long and it's, it, it's a long movie mm -hmm. but that notwithstanding do you think that there is anything that you could double feature this with i i i don't think i could really double feature this with anything and not not because it's such a long movie but just because i felt it stood well enough alone that to watch something else after or before this um they, like the movies wouldn't be tainted by each other but it, it might just kind of throw me off unless there's like another really good western out there that has a dissimilar vibe like maybe true grit i guess i could watch that before or after this but those those are wildly different movies despite both being westerns yeah yeah i i don't know that i have an answer to this either because i was trying to think about it because i always think that's always a fun question to me like yeah. what would you double feature a movie with right um i don't know that you can in this case just simply because, again, there is that long runtime that mm -hmm. it just, what do you even show that would even hold mm -hmm. a candle to this? I guess that maybe Jason and the Argonauts, since you mentioned it. Are you know, I was actually about to say, like, yeah, the skeletons. classic Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, that would, that would be fun, actually. Show that one first. Yeah. Or maybe show that after as a palate cleanser. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've watched the serious movie. Now we're just going to hang out and watch the fun one. <laughs> You know what? That's I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Jason and the Ar the classic Jason and the Argonauts. Cool. Well, I guess with that, uh, mm -hmm. are we gonna rate this? Uh, yeah, that's how we end this. Cool. Um, I obviously I came up three point eight. That that's too low. Um, Ennio Morricone alone is enough to bring it beyond that. I would say I'm gonna come up to a solid four point four Snake Pliskins out of five. No offense to Henry Fonda. I think he did a really good job for what he, especially coming from such a, you know, I'm a the good guy actor background. He did do a really good job. I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm hating on him too much. But Jill's character also kind of like fell flat at areas. So 4.4. I'm stopping there. Yeah. Um. I, it's funny because I, I think I kind of, I talked it up like I was going to go up. Yeah. But I think that I'm going to stay right at four and a half uh, out of five Snake Pliskins simply because there were things that just didn't quite hit for me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were some low points, and, and the low points were still pretty good, right? Oh, yeah. But I don't think that I can give it that perfect five because there were just moments in the movie that mm -hmm. just skipped beats where it's like, <laughs> this is a bit jarring and mm -hmm. I can't quite do it. What I was surprised by, and this is kind of my final thought on it, is mm -hmm. that how good charles bronson was yes versus like my expectation is always like okay spaghetti western on the pedestal is clint mm -hmm. eastwood right yeah and you think like anyone else is going to just be not quite as good <laughs> yeah. i think that charles bronson missed his calling as a spaghetti western <laughs> like anti-hero because man i enjoyed him more in that than i did in honestly any death wish movie that i've seen Oof. which is 
impressive to yeah. say because he's really good in Death Wish. Mm-hmm. I just think he was better in this than any of those, <laughs> at least from what I've seen. Now, I haven't seen Bronson in a lot of things outside Death Wish. Yeah. And this. <laughs> so I have to like find more stuff with him in it because I just absolutely loved his performance in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is on a par with Eastwood and he oh, yeah. might in fact edge him out a bit. <laughs> But I think that it was helped along by um, the character of Cheyenne, who kind of gave that, like, he wasn't really a comic relief, but he was kind of like, he was just a really nice, good character that rounded a lot of Mm -hmm. people out. Like, in an urban setting, this is actually just a buddy cop movie that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I agree. So I'm going to stick it a four and a half, Mm -hmm. uh, 4.5 out of five Snake Pluskins, because it it was really good. Uh, My final word on this is, man, go watch this movie. If you have not stopped (laughs) to watch it, go watch this movie right now. Mm -hmm. Because even with the spoilers, it's still a great movie. I will absolutely watch this again at some point. Yeah, then that's the thing. I will watch it again. Is is just a, you know, I want to watch again. Frankly, Mm -hmm. I almost want to watch it like right now again. (laughs) But no. Hopefully you guys enjoy uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, and we'll see you next time. Peace. And I wonder if it really was. I think it was always was show business. I think they were pretending to be factories, and it was still show business. I heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines, and there I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show, and I had to get on somehow. Plus, at the time, oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus, at the time, really pieces of work. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. I really did, because he was a monster, but they all were, or almost all of them, those guys. He came on as a monster, you know, he snarled at you, like that. Plus, plus, at the time. He was a monster, like that. Plus, plus, at the time. I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Follow us on Twitter at MWNS Podcast or contact us at MWNS Podcast at ProtonMail.com. All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license. <laughs>